Hey folks, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Restoration Project's weekly podcast. The Restoration Project is a cooperative Baptist fellowship church located in Salisbury, Maryland. We are taking a break from our latest sermon series. Enjoy this standalone episode. Thanks for listening. He is risen. Let's pray together tonight. Holy, loving God, we thank you. We thank you for this beautiful Easter day, full of the hope that comes only through the resurrection of your one and only son. We come to you with ultimate gratitude, gratitude that we are able to gather in the name of Jesus to celebrate this holiest of days. God, please guide my words and allow them to bring you glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so we are privileged enough to be gathered here tonight to truly celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the one who was sent by God of the universe to live and ultimately atone for our sins through death. But that's not the end of this story. The effects of death were monumentally changed through Jesus Christ. Our decision to celebrate in a manner worthy of the resurrection of our Lord is communicated eloquently through the words of N.T. Wright. Easter week ought to be an eight-day festival with champagne served after morning prayer or even before, with lots of alleluias and extra hymns and spectacular anthems. Is it any wonder people find it hard to believe in the resurrection of Jesus if we don't throw our hats in the air? Take Easter away and you don't have a New Testament. You don't have a Christianity. The entire Christian faith is built around this day, and TRP's position is that if ever there was a day to party and celebrate, this is it. It's Easter. In my preparation for today, I began asking people for their favorite Jesus story. I'd like to kick off our celebration tonight by sharing some of them. Several of the people I asked named the story of the adulterous woman in John 8, 1 through 11. Jesus was in the temple courts so he could teach the people, and they all gathered around him. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. They told Jesus what had happened and stated that the law of Moses commanded them to stone such women. They asked Jesus, what do you say? They were attempting to trap him. Roman law forbade execution without permission from the governor, which made it impossible to carry out. They were expecting Jesus to follow biblical teaching about stoning, but instead Jesus turns the tables and he responds, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw the stone. Jesus asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She responds, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. In Mark 5, we hear the story of a man named Jairus, the father to a daughter who was dying. Jairus fell to Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to put his hands on his little daughter so that she would be healed and live. As they were making their way to Jairus' home, people came to him and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? 
Jesus overhears and tells Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. When they arrived at the home, there were many people crying and wailing loudly. Jesus tells them, the child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. Jesus took the little girl's hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. The little girl immediately stood up and began walking around. The story of the woman at the well in John 4 was another favorite. Jesus had left Judea and headed back toward Galilee. Tired from the journey, he stopped at a well in Samaria at noon. A Samaritan woman was there, and because of the time of day, it suggests that she was not welcome to go to the well at the same time as the other women. Jesus asked the Samaritan woman for water. The woman was surprised, as Jews did not associate with Samaritans. According to Jewish tradition, a Samaritan woman was always unclean, so to drink from her vessel would have been impure. Jesus goes on to offer her living water and tells her that she will never thirst again. He reveals himself as the Messiah to her. My personal favorite comes from Luke 19.3. Jesus and his disciples passed through Jericho, and as usual, a crowd formed around him. Zacchaeus, a wealthy tax collector, was short in stature and could not see over the crowd, so he climbed a sycamore fig tree so he could see Jesus. Cracks me up to think of him up in the tree looking down. Jesus sees him and says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. He was a man with a reputation for a lack of integrity, and here is Jesus requesting hospitality from this man who is considered sinful. Lastly is the story of Martha and Mary. A woman named Martha opened her home to Jesus and his disciples. The woman had a sister named Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and listened to him while Martha was busy with domestic responsibilities. Martha becomes upset with her sister and asks Jesus, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Jesus replies, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. I enjoyed receiving the responses to my request of what's your favorite Jesus story because I was reminded of the common thread that is woven through each and every one of them. In each and every one of these stories, Jesus upends the societal norms of the day and includes people who probably have never been included or felt like part of a community before. He doesn't do this as a sterile, in a sterile, disconnected way. He does this relationally with love and at times firmness. It may sound simplistic, but he teaches inclusion by example. The woman at the well, no Jewish man would have spoken to a Samaritan woman. To do so would have brought shame, which was the opposite of honor. And without honor, one had nothing. Add in that she was a woman who had been married five different times and was now with someone who was not her husband, and it just intensifies the story. Yet this is the woman that Jesus reveals himself to. The adulterer. Imagine, if you will, that situation. A woman held an extremely low place in society. A woman who was an adulterer was exponentially worse. In fact, adulterers could be sentenced 
capital punishment. Surely everyone around Jesus believed he would tear into her. But Jesus doesn't do what's expected. Instead, he challenges her accuser to check themselves. Don't cast a stone unless you're without sin. Talitha Kum, little girl, wake up. It's like he's waking her up from a nap. Touching a corpse rendered one impure for a week, but Jesus took the little girl's hand without reservation and said to her, Talitha Kum, little girl, wake up. Jesus provides a life-given miracle, and in so, a beautiful, beautiful lesson of trust. Interactions with Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Jesus mingles with him, a corrupt traitor, someone who is most definitely considered on the outskirts of society. It's Jesus who requests to stay at his home, where they will likely break bread over fellowship. This was absolutely unheard of. Martha and Mary. Mary sits at Jesus' feet, taking the posture of a disciple. This was absolutely against all the cultural norms of the day. Martha's behavior was in line with the cultural expectations of a woman, while Mary's actions violated them. Yet it's Mary who Jesus says has chosen better. The awesome thing about all of these stories is not only were they revolutionary at the time, but they are equally as groundbreaking when you look at them in light of our modern day societal norms. The excluded, the ostracized, the oppressed. They may not look the same as they did in Jesus's time, but make no mistake, outcasts still exist some 2,000 years later. We owe it to Jesus to honor his legacy by carrying on his gospel message of love and inclusion. I wholeheartedly believe that the way to do this is the same way that Jesus did it, by example. Jesus lived a sinless life on earth, yet was killed in the most demeaning, most inhumane manner that existed. He did that for us, for you, for me, for everyone who trusts like Jairus did. The son of the God of the universe died for us. Let that sink in for a minute. I think if we're honest, we all have moments when it's incredibly difficult to comprehend the sacrifice that he made for us. How can we honor that massive, incomprehensible gift? My hope is that we will inherently live a life of inclusiveness because we have been included. As incredible as this is, the gospel and Jesus' resurrection means so much more than Jesus' death. Jesus' death and resurrection put sin and death to death. His death brings victory. James H. Cohn more than hints at this in the cross and the lynching tree. The gospel of Jesus is not a rational concept to be explained in a theory of salvation, but a story of God's, about God's presence in Jesus' solidarity with the oppressed, which led to his death on the cross. What is redemptive is the faith that God snatches victory out of despair, out of defeat, life out of death, and hope out of despair. And another quote from Cohn. And yet the Christian gospel is more than a transcendent reality, more than going to heaven when I die to shout salvation as I fly. 
It's also an imminent reality, a powerful, liberating presence among the poor right now in their midst, building them up where they are torn down and propping them up on every leaning side. The gospel is found wherever poor people struggle for justice, fighting for their right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Go out of your way to include the outcasts, the people on the margins. Think about who the 2019 version of the woman at the well is, or the leper, or the tax collector. Include them. Invite them into the gospel of Jesus through your actions. Welcome them with open arms. Anything less is simply not good enough. To expound a little more on the reason for this beautiful celebration tonight, Jesus' death is not the end of the story. Jesus was resurrected. The atrocious death he experienced wasn't the last word. Resurrection, eternal life, and the opportunity for us to bring heaven to earth have the last say. If we only focus on the Jesus died for my sins part of the story, we're really missing out on a huge part of the gospel. Again, it's a quote from N.T. Wright in Surprised by Hope that really drives this point home. The hope held out to us in Jesus Christ leads directly to a vision of the present hope that is the basis of all Christian mission. To hope for a better future in this world, for the poor, the sick, the lonely, and depressed. For the slaves, the refugees, the hungry and homeless, for the abused, the paranoid, the downtrodden, and despairing. And in fact, for the whole wide, wonderful, and wounded world is not something else, something extra, something that's just tacked on to the gospel as an afterthought. Wright also asserts that Jesus's resurrection is the beginning of God's new project to colonize earth with the life of heaven. And we are tasked with this charge to bring heaven to earth. We are provided with hope from despair. And if this isn't good news worthy of celebration, I don't know what is. Let's pray. Holy, loving God, again, we thank you. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your gospel, to be agents of restoration in this world you have created. We thank you for the hope that is provided through the resurrecting power of your son. We are grateful for your son, Jesus, and the life he lived and the change he invoked. His radical actions turned life as it was known on its head by including the oppressed and those on the outskirts of society. There's a place for you and for me and for all who trust. I pray, Lord, that we accept the charge of Christianity to live a life of love and of inclusion, to spread the message of Jesus by example. I pray that wherever we are on this journey of faith, we will never forget that Jesus overturned death and declared victory over it. Death and sin were put to death. Let that fact never become trite or overlooked. Jesus' resurrection changed everything. Thank you, God, for allowing us to be part of the story, the glorious story 
of hope and new life. It's in the name of your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We invite you to join us in Salisbury for one of our weekly services on Sunday evenings at 5.30 p.m. Whatever your story, there's room for you here. Again, if you'd like more information, please visit our website at restoresby.org. See you next week.